Welcome to the last episode of 2021 for the Like Bigfoot podcast. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for listening all year and supporting um, everything we've been doing here. It's been a blast as always. Uh, And in many ways, for me personally, 2021 was one of the most rewarding years that I've had. Uh, and in many other ways, it was also one of the most challenging years I've experienced. Uh, somehow, some way, for me, from from my perspective, 2021 was just as crazy, just as wild as last year. Um, so I want to thank you all for, for just supporting me along the way, uh, whether it was people personally in my life or whether it was someone listening to the podcast or supporting the desert rats film um which we'll have more updates on in the future um or if it was just a guest someone who came on and inspired me in in some way or another uh and man i gotta like i gotta say my mind once again is blown i have been so inspired by the people who have been willing to share some time with me and share their stories of adventure and perseverance and and all of that with the show um it's it's been very 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 rewarding so for everyone who came on the show this year who was a guest uh, i just want to thank you all uh, i appreciate each and every one of you um and like i said i feel like Every time I record an episode, I, I get to grow. I get to kind of like put myself in someone else's shoes for a little bit and see their perspective and learn from their wisdom and just kind of expand my own thoughts based off of that. So um, I really appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> this week's episode, uh, it's it just kind of goes to show that like, the big lesson I took away is like, even when a challenge seems insurmountable and everything in your core is telling you that you're going to be defeated, um, you can still have this little spark and you can have this spark that is going to ignite your energy, your motivation, and you're going to keep going. Um, and in this case, it's in a race uh we're going to talk about Tim Bars, my buddy Tim. We're going to talk about his 100 miler at the Run Rabbit Run and kind of the the uh, chaos that he had to uh, endure, especially towards the beginning, uh, which just sounded really rough, man. <laughs> um, but, you know, that lesson of you can always find the spark within yourself that's going to apply to anything in life. If you're having a rough time, if you're having a rough go, if you're down in the dumps or in your lowest valley, there you just got to keep going. There is that thing that you can find. Somehow, some way, you can find that one thing that is going to propel you forward. Um, and sometimes it's in the face of extreme extreme adversity um obviously uh, we share a lot of adventure stories we share a lot of ultra running stories ultra endurance stuff on this show um but all of those kind of pale in comparison to the life challenges that people face every single day and are facing right now even as you record or as i record this intro um but those lessons that we take away from these ultra endurance sports, I mean, ultimately those lessons and that journey that you go through and the the peaks and the valleys that you traverse are way more beneficial than any finish line. The finish line feels great for like a couple minutes, but the journey and the lessons you learn along the way are the things that you bring back to your own life. Um, and so, you know, while we share these stories of adventure and and you know ultra runs and races and 100 milers and all that um just know that really for me the takeaways that i get from the podcast are going to be these ones of these deeper human experiences and and how to kind of overcome 
whatever is thrown your way. Because in life, there's a lot of stuff that's thrown your way. There's a lot of stuff thrown my way. A lot of stuff thrown your way if you're out there listening. Like, it's just part of the human experience. And these races kind of teach us what we can do when we're at our lowest. So all of that being said, um, in this episode, we really have two different stories for you. Um, we have the story of Hillary Osborne's very first 100 miler at the Leadville 100. Uh, if you remember, I had Tim and his friend Caitlin Yonke on a few months ago, and they kind of previewed the Leadville race. Um, Hillary was the runner they were going out to support. Hillary is also Tim's coach, uh, got him trained up for all the big events that he took on this year, got him ready for the Run Rabbit Run. We're going to hear Tim's story there. Uh, we're also bringing in Tim's wife, Julie. We just want a bunch of different perspectives here, right? Like the coach's perspective, the crew's perspective, the pacer, all that fun stuff um, if, if you're into ultra running. Um, but yeah, that's it. Let's get into the episode, guys. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast Number 282, the last one of 2021. Let's do it. We have a full packed, I was going to say packed house, but packed Zoom screen today. Um, we have Tim Barr returning to the podcast. Uh, we have his lovely wife, Julie, and then his coach, Hillary, on the show. Um, we are going to talk all sorts of 100-mile talk today. Because Hillary, I also want to hear about your very first 100 miler at Leadville. Um, so welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thanks fun. for having us. Nice. Yeah, I'm still like I'm trying like I'm trying to learn how to balance a Zoom conversation with like four people at once. You know, um, I spent all last year doing like 30 people at once in class, and they probably just heard me talk way too much. So. Um, let's start with this. Uh, Tim, can you kind of just give us a quick, like brief overview of like what we're going to talk about today? And then we'll jump over. I want to hear Hillary's hundred miler, uh, first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, uh, so I ran the run rabbit 100 in September. Um, it was on the tail end of what was a huge season of running, uh, for me. And, um, I always think it's interesting as you're out there running um, the various kind of perspectives of there's so many people out there supporting you. So it's not just you out there doing your thing. It's really, it's like, you've got your crew, you've got pacers, you, I mean, it's just takes an army to get you through one of these events. And um, I think, you know, playing, I've been on kind of both, both sides of the fence with crewing and pacing and, and running, I guess that's three sides of the fence. Or, are there three sides of a fence? There Ever. are. Yeah, man. My fence, my like crappy if fence. It's a triangle. <laughs> yeah, the triangle fence. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was like, it would be cool. Like two two things. Like number one, like I normally blog about like the races I've done and, and at least like write them down so I can remember them um, and provide some like bedtime reading material for people online that um, are looking for it. Um, but I didn't do that with Run Rabbit, so I thought it'd be cool to just kind of get on and, and catalog a little bit, um, talk about the experience, and then um, also get um, Hillary and Julie's perspective on things. And, um, you know, I was also kind of pacing Hillary towards her first 100 this year. You know, I was really curious, like, what, what has changed in her perspective um, from a crew and pacing and, and running standpoint. So, um that was kind of the big idea. So we'll kind of see where it goes. Yeah, man. Well, I got to start with Julie because you've been very supportive with all of this for Tim. Um, and I saw today that he just signed up for Leadman. So what was that conversation like? Uh, there was a couple of conversations about that. <laughs> um, most conversations go the way of him laying out his options for the year and then asking my opinion to which I rarely have one. I sort of let him talk and talk. And then by the next day, he's decided on what he's going to sign up for. And then I say, okay, cool. let's do it. Yeah. It's about how they go. Yeah. And you're, you're a physical therapist too. So are you like in the back of your mind, like, ah, I'm going to have to be like, needling this guy and like all this stuff like extra work for me come on 
Well, two things. As a physical therapist, there's always, well, there's different things. There's one is being a wife and then one being a physical therapist, the way I look <laughs> at these types of long endurance, long endurance races. And then also, um, I just have my staff treat him for physical therapy. I don't do it. <laughs> That's right. Our, well, our it's, guy too hard to, it's too hard to treat your spouse. Uh, but yeah, true. I definitely have different perspectives of endurance running from a PT point of view and a spouse point of view. Yeah. Yeah. So you just make Joel torture Tim. Correct. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Joel is great at torturing. Cause he's so nice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> More nicer than me. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to stick this needle three inches into your hamstring. Yeah. Go for it. Oh, thanks, Joel. Thanks buddy. Thanks Joel. <laughs> thanks my guy. Um, that's awesome. So Hillary, uh, just to kind of go back, like, so Tim came on and we did an episode uh, with Caitlin about Leadville and it was like a couple of weeks before you ran it, um, but they were talking about going out and crewing you. So what was that experience like? It was your very first 100. Like, how did you feel going into it? Um, going into it, I was incredibly nervous because it's the unknown first, yeah. first hundred. Um, so just really nervous, not knowing what's going to happen that day. Um, but then I think what finally like eased my mind was I just kind of adopted the first kind of the, the mindset when I did my first 50, um, which was, um, I'm going to like, it's just a resolve to finish it. Like realizing it's a decision to keep moving and to finish. And even though this was a hundred, I could still take that same resolve and just be like, well, whatever, as long as I'm able and I'm not incredibly, um, you know, something, as long as something doesn't happen along the way that totally takes me out and it's not safe to continue. Um, it's just a decision to finish. And like, that's just how I'll approach it. Yeah. So, yeah. How many times during it did you have to just tell yourself, like, make the decision, keep going? Like, was it every five seconds or what? No, you know, like, that's maybe what was the most surprising thing to me is once I started, I never had a moment where I wanted to st stop. Of course, I had a moment where I was looking forward to crossing the finishing finish line and for it to be over. But yeah. I never had to debate with myself to keep going. Um, it was just, I don't know. It was just taking the day as it came. And, um, I, I did a really good job of mentally breaking, breaking it up by aid station to aid station. Um, it was just about getting to the next aid station. And once I got there, it was about taking care of myself and then continuing to the next aid station. Um, and as a result, it did like break up the mileage for me. Um, I also never checked in with my watch, like, oh, I've done 45 miles. I have yeah. 55 to go. I never did that to myself because I knew I would only think about what was left. Um, I, I think I just, I, I am proud that I did a good job of staying in the moment and just, um, taking it as it came. Yeah. Did you have like a high moment or a low moment like that you want to talk about during the race? Cause I know sometimes low moments are like super personal and you're like, nah, yeah. but no, um, low moment was 30 miles in. Um, I got knee pain, really sharp knee pain on the outside of my right knee. Um, and it was on a downhill section, which is usually my jam. I love to just cruise the downhill and go. Um, but it was like almost immediate after it was between, um, between Outward Bound and Twin Lakes, you kind of do a bit of climbing and then you get a nice downhill into Twin Lakes. And I was like, sweet, we're cresting this hill. I'm just going to cruise into Twin Lakes. And it was like almost immediate on the downhill that I got my knee pain. And I'm, and I'm probably 33 miles in or so. And I'm like, what, this is way too early. No. And so that, that's the low moment where you're just like way too early to feel crappy and to have problems like this pop up. Yeah. Um, I can tell Julie's trying to figure out like <laughs> why. The oh yeah. Happened. I've used Julie as a resource for sure. <laughs> She's great. 
Yeah. So, um, so that took some kind of problem solving on the spot, you know, took a minute to stop, um, walk a little bit and eventually I found what I could do. I could run a little bit, not quite as fast as I wanted, but at least it was still like forward movement. And so I was like, okay, yeah. This is what I need to do to get me to the next aid station. I'll do yeah. it. So, yeah. How, yeah. Was there was there anything like after finishing that you're like, oh, that's something like a lesson I'll take away? Oh my gosh, lots of those. Um, you're like, I can do anything now. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's always that. There's always <laughs> like, well, if I could do that, I can do. I don't know anything. Yeah. Um. Oh my gosh. Lessons. Um, I mean, there's like lots of little practical things. Like I can't chew anything after, um, like 60 miles, like my mouth, like just did not want to chew food. So it's like, okay, I need more things I can just that are like softer, um, lessons like that. Um, with my knee stuff that came up, it was just kind of a reminder to, um, really work on the, on like strength and and rehab type stuff in the off season. Um, oh my, I think I could go on and on about lessons, but yeah, that's what comes to mind. Yeah. That's right awesome. Tim, yeah. So Tim, when you started pacing and crewing, like, I guess this is going to be interesting today because you crewed Hillary and then Hillary crewed you. And I just want to, mm-hmm. like, I bet you guys did it in kind of different ways, but I bet you were kind of similar in a lot of ways too. Like what was some like ideas going into that, that you're like, Oh, I definitely want to help her by doing blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't, it's, that's, it's, it's a hard thing for me to answer. Cause I think like in some ways, um, Hillary's like the ultimate running partner for me because we kind of, it feels like sometimes we're just, we're just like in sync and, um, that section, she was coming down off a hook pass. She couldn't pick up a pacer until mile 60 um, this year, which was like a change. And so I knew it was going to be like, it's it's just always hard, like coming off of like you made it over hope and you made it over hope again and you get down into Twin Lakes. And so we took, we took a while there at that aid station, just getting her like ready. It had been kind of like raining on and off and um, the weather was kind of funky, but um, I think it was like, I just needed to kind of like gauge where she was at mentally. And um, there was like the physical stuff that was going on, like the knee thing. Um, so it was, we just had to kind of like work through that. And um, fortunately, like I, I've never seen somebody in such a fantastic mindset, like ever, like it was just killer. It was like, I could tell you were hurting Hillary and like you're, you were struggling with food and some things like that. Like we just like tried different things and until like, we're like, oh yeah, like that's going to work. Um, and it was just relentless forward pro- progress too. And I felt like, at least from my perspective, and I know I came in at, you know, I'm, I'm all fresh at mile 60, but I mean, the four hours we were out there, like went by relatively quickly. And, um, she was in front. So that was the other thing too, that's kind of like different. Like I trade back and forth sometimes when I'm pacing or running, um, but Hillary basically pushed pushed the pace. And then when we were slowing down and like kind of needed to pick it up, I would say something. But um, for the most part, I felt like my job was probably the easiest pacing job that night out of like anybody that got you. I mean, who knows like how it was later on, but um, I had a pretty easy section and there's not, like outside of like the first climb, there's not a whole lot going on. So, um, which is a lot different than getting to power lines. They have to get you up over power lines. And then that 13 miles back into Leadville is, is can be kind of brutal if you're worried about the clock. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's really just trying to understand and listen to your runner, which, you know, we have the advantage of we've shared like hundreds of hours out in the trail together. So it made it pretty easy. Yeah. yeah. Julie. So Tim is, obsessed with Leadville. He thinks it's like the greatest town ever. In your opinion, what is the greatest Colorado town? <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. I'm pretty partial to Boulder, but I went to school there. Nice. 
Uh, it's probably not Leadville, but <laughs> I do like it up there. I don't like it as much as Tim does, but I do like it up there. No, I just have a massive headache every time I go up. So <laughs> that means I have to go up more, right, Tim? That's right. Yep. Yeah. And so I know the ending there and Tim's trying to get me to go up and do some Leadville event this summer. We'll see. Um, but I know like the finish line there is supposed to be absolutely incredible as you're coming back into town. What was that like Hillary for you? Um, yeah, that was unworldly experience, I guess. Like, first of all, um, my mental state, like I was not, I was not human by the time <laughs> I was within a couple miles of, of the finish. So, um, and that, and the whole stretch around Twin Lakes coming back, um, no, yeah, sorry, Twin Lakes, um, was just really brutal for me. That was probably one of the lowest, one of the lowest lows of my race was just making it around that lake and then up the boulevard. It's just mentally tough. And, um, and so then coming into the finish, I was definitely just in like robotic mode and just get to the finish. Um, so, and I thought crossing the finish line would be like this emotional thing. And, um, almost every other race I finish, um, there's some sort of tears on, on my part, just like, you know, you're overwhelmed by the experience. Leadville, I had none of that. Like, I think just cause I was so depleted just from moving for that long. Um, and I was just kind of detached. So, um, but the finish line is definitely this amazing experience where so many people are out watching, cheering you on. Um, just the whole street is lined with people cheering you on. And it's kind of like overwhelming, especially just you've been in the woods kind of yeah. by yourself <laughs> for a long time. And now there's all these people and it's loud and you, it's kind of like stimulation overload. Um, but definitely just this insane experience where all these strangers are cheering you on and um, just to watch you finish. So, That's so cool. Kind of That's unreal. cool. Well, yeah. congrats on the finish there. That's amazing. <clears throat> and I also know, like, I know Tim, you had like a giant summer of races and I know being coached by Hillary really helped you like be successful with that. Um, so let's jump into run rabbit. So going, leading into it, I'll, I'll build it up leading into it, running with you. I remember you were like, I'm not hundred percent sure like why I'm doing this. And you're like three weeks out. Probably you're all trained up. You're in great shape, but you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this yet. Um, did you ever discover like a bigger kind of reason beyond just like going out and having a quote unquote fun time suffering for a hundred miles. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge that I had was, um, the, what you mentioned, the big season, I signed up for run rabbit two years ago. So it got, Oh, like, I was like, okay. I was like this is going to be my 2020 race. I was super pumped about it. Getting up to steamboat. Like steamboat is probably my favorite Colorado town. Um, like outside of Leadville. Oh, okay. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I mean, to get up there and do it, and they canceled the race, and it was just wonky last year during COVID, the way they did that, and it was just like, it's like, hey, the race is on, you guys, like, three weeks, you know, so I'm like, you know, you've kind of been training, but not really, because it's, you know, like, it's 2020, and then they canceled it, yeah. like, I, it was just nuts, so it was, I deferred my entry, and then I, you know, and then I had a monster year, like, you know, I was like racing basically every month and then did desert rats for a week and then got a free entry into the Leadville bike stage race and went and did that paced Hillary. And I like never really took the time to be like, I'm like, well, I guess I'm doing this run rabbit run thing. And, um, but I'll tell you like in hindsight, like without, you know, giving away like the crux points of the race, like I learned, I learned a ton, but there's like a moment where I was like, I think I was out there for some, for some other people. Yeah. Like, I think I was there for like a reason, but I don't think the reason was necessarily me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about 
the race. Um, I know that it started off rough. I can't remember if I was texting you during it, but at some point I'm like, Oh no, maybe I was just like looking at Instagram and someone was updating it or something. But at some point I was like, he is struggling. Like he is struggling hard. Well, I can't remember the timing and maybe like Julian Hillary can like fill in the gaps on it. Like honestly, cause it, it was like such a blur, but I, I was to plan like literally like, did the first climb which was pretty gnarly and then i had like a pretty decent descent into the um the next aid station which i think was like 10 miles in or something but i wasn't um and i was like eating i was like sticking to this nutrition plan that i laid out but my stomach was just not really loving it and i was like well maybe just because i'm just i'm forcing this food down or, or something like i couldn't quite figure it out and then um I left that aid station and you go down this like super gnarly, like 2000 foot, like descent down, they call it Fish Creek Falls. So you go down this canyon basically. And like, I'm on this way down the canyon and I'm like losing all my food from the morning. Like, and it's never had, like, I don't have stomach issues in a race. Like, you know, I know people are probably listening to this. They're like, yeah, okay, whatever, Tim. Like, they're like, sounds like you did, Tim. Like get on, like, you know, I mean, but this ultra thing is like, oh, you know, there's some ultra runners that have like, like our friend Brooks, he like projectile vomits like every race, you know, it's like, he's just like, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> but I couldn't keep, I could not keep any calories down. So I get down to the bottom of this, this climb and it's hot. Like it is really freaking hot. And I've got like a blister forming in my foot, which I'd never get, never get blisters. Like, it's just all these things were like happening at this moment when I saw Julie at mile 18 and I was like, not doing well. Um, like I couldn't take in any calories at all. And so I got out of that aid station and started making the climb up uh, Fish Creek Falls. And like, you know, there's like tons of people at these aid stations. So you're like, I just got to like put the face on and like get through this and like get back up. And I got like a mile up that climb and like, lost everything again and i just and i had that moment of like i don't know why i'm out here doing this and i looked at my watch 105 mile race so i like look at my watch and i'm like i've got essentially like 87 more miles to go and i'm like screw this this is why you don't look at your watch one mm -hmm. i know and then two i went to a steamboat like a week later or something and you texted me you're like hey you should take your family hiking on fish Creek falls and play a game where you're just scavenger hunting for my throw up spots on the side of the trail. <laughs> it's a gnar climb. It's hard. Um, but I called, I don't know if I texted her or who I, I called first. I think I called Julie and just told her like, I was out. Like, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And, and I was like, debating. Saw, right, Julie. Yeah. Yeah, it was like mile 17 and a half or something. And um, I've done a lot of these with Tim. And that was the earliest in a race I've ever seen him like that. He was asking for weird stuff. He wanted to change his socks. He like stuff that he never, like sometimes he doesn't change his socks ever, let alone at mile 17. Yeah. Um, so I knew when he took off out of there, I was like, something's not going right. And then he called me because he random reception of that race, like super random points. He would get phone reception and I, and he was ready to quit. And I just kept talking to him and talking to him and saying, I don't, who knows what I said, um, whatever I could think of until finally I got off the phone with him and called Hillary, told her to call him. That was my backup. And, you know, I mean, for, for me, I mean, I, I was looking in my head, I was only a mile up this climb, right out of the aid station. I was like, if I can get permission, like I was like, okay, it's three and a half miles left to go to the next aid station, or I can turn around and go a mile back down and just quit. And Julie's like, just keep going. Like, it's okay. You know, just one step at a time. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I can't do this anymore. And like, Hillary had sent me a text. I don't know if it was like before or after that. She's like, good job, buddy. Like, you can do this. And I'm like, oh, I can't. I can't. No one understands what's going on. And then. Can I say something? Yeah. I think, well, you're right. No one does understand what's going on. And I think from a 
crew or a pacer or a friend or a family, you you can't ever be the one to tell them to stop racing. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, now, if he stopped, it it wouldn't matter to me. Like I'm, none of us are going to think any less of him if he stopped, right? Yeah. Even though in his mind or any racer's mind, they they worry about what other people will think if they quit. But you can't ever be the one to say it's okay to quit in my opinion i think you have to just support them and say what can you do can you get to the next aid station um because ultimately it has to be their decision and i think they sometimes are searching for people to tell them it's okay to quit and i and may and some people do and that's you know but i i personally think that you if it's not the racer has to make that decision i don't yeah. think that someone on the outside is to make it and i when I got off the phone with Tim and I called Hillary to see if she would call him, um, I think without saying to her, I think I kind of knew she probably would say the same things to him. Mm -hmm. Like I knew she wasn't going to tell him to quit either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Because no. then if he, if he did quit, cause you told him to mm -hmm. five days later when he's feeling fine, he's like, Oh man, I wish you wouldn't have told me to quit. You know? Right. Well, yeah. And Julie, I agree with you. I think when, as a runner, when you're in your right mind and, and you're selecting people on your team to either crew or pace you, you're selecting those people that won't give in to your, um, you know, who won't let you quit. You're selecting those people because you know that they won't just give you permission to quit. And of course, uh, when we're supporting a runner, we're always thinking about, well, what's safe? You know, we have the person's safety in mind and if it's truly not safe to keep going we'll say so and we'll support that but um like i know when if i've been asked to pace or crew it's like i've been asked to be the person to like not give them permission and be the person to encourage and find any way to keep going yeah 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 so so like sequence of events uh, Julie called me and I hadn't left town yet. Um, I was planning on leaving like that afternoon to get up to Steamboat because I was pacing yeah. the last original, the original plan was the last 35 maybe or so, but so I wasn't going to jump in until late in the evening. So I didn't need to leave Denver um, for a while yet. So I hadn't left yet. And Julie told me what was going on and and after I got off the phone, Julie, I was like, okay, I'll send him a couple texts of encouragement. Um, and then I, I sent a text and then like a second later, I got a call from, that's when Tim called me. And I don't know if, like, I don't know if you really even got my text because service was really spotty and poor. Um, I think you got my text like out of sequence too, because I think some of them didn't make sense in relation to how you, how you were feeling, Tim. But yeah, then you called me and yeah, I did the same thing Julie did and encouraged him to keep going and like, what, what can you do in this moment? And, and I think too, the reminder of like, you don't have to do anything when you're low, you don't have to do anything special. You don't have to like bust out nine minute miles up this hill, like just keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, and Tim, you told me you were going to call out Hillary and be like, don't come. I'm done. Well, I did tell her that yeah. and I was worried yeah. about it. That's the reason I think I called her is because I knew I was in trouble. And I was just like, if she drives all the way up here for me and I drop, like, I'm going to feel awful. Like that was going through my head of like, I want to save her a trip because I'm out. Like I was out, like I was resolved. Like I'm going to get to this next aid station. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to, and, and I'm dropping. Like, I mean, my, I was already there and Hillary was like, no, Tim, like just the next aid station, how far is it? Three and a half miles. And I'm like, 500 people have passed me. Like that was in my head. I was just like, watch these people going by. And then this one lady walk, you know, goes up the hill and she goes, oh man, it's way too early in the race to be feeling, I threw up and she goes, oh man, it's way too early in the race to be doing that. I'm like, yeah, thank nice. you. <laughs> yeah, really? Sorry. Okay. I won't puke next time. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, it was, it was like, okay, I'm not getting permission from Julie. I'm not getting permission from Hillary. I need it. Like at this point I was like over halfway to that aid station. So it was like, I might as well just go to the aid station. And 
I caught up to, it was funny, like two experiences on that. Like I was kind of like this guy and I were like kind of neck and neck and I was just pacing up this hill and he turned around and told me that he doesn't like people following him. And I've never had that in a race, like ever. And I was like, dude, I'm like moving as fast as I can move. I go, if you don't want me following you, you need to move faster. (laughs) (laughs) So that was like my first thing. And then the next thing I caught up to this other guy who was like, he was crying, like in tears. And he had been going through a really tough personal time um, going into the race and was just struggling. It was like, I'm dropping at the next aid station. By this time, we're about a mile and a half out or mile out. And I was like, that's awesome. I'm dropping out too. Like, let's just hang out. And so we hung out and like basically got to that next aid station and we both walked in and the aid station volunteer comes over and this is mile, I don't know what mile is, 22 or something. And she's like, well, can I get you guys? And I was like a SAG vehicle, like I'm out. And then the guy next to me is like, yep, I'm out. And she goes, oh, that's cool. We've already called like a truck, like they're on their way, but like, like, can I just get you some ginger ale or something to kind of like settle your stomach and I'll try some peanut butter and jelly and, um, just sit here for a minute. Like a car is coming, but let's see if we can turn this around. And so I sit down in this chair and I'm between two, I'm between two guys, the guy that I was like hiking up the hill with. And there's another guy like on my right. And he has his head down in his lap too. Like just like super emotional because we're all done. Like all of us had just had the same problems, like stomach issues, like we're not, it's not our day. And um, so I'm just sipping ginger ale and I, this guy on my right, like we have a mutual friend named Donald and um, he's like, Tim. And he goes, oh man, like, you know, our friend Donald, like told me you're going to be out here. And I was like, oh, cool. So this guy's name's Shad. And he'd just been having a rough day. And um, so had I, and you know, the woman comes over and she's like, Hey, the car's not too far away, you guys. And I got some more ginger ale and I just look over at Shad next to me. And I was like, dude, game time right now. Let's get up. Let's go like next aid station. We're just going to walk. And without even saying a word, he's like, all right, like goes, I guess he didn't say a word. So he just got up and went and went and got some like Coke or something like that. And we just started, we just walked out of the aid station. We walked out so fast. I left my cell phone at the aid station and I had to go back and get it. I was like a quarter mile out and I was like, oh, I don't have my phone. Like, so I had to like go back to the aid station. I wound up doing an extra half mile um, in the race, but. What was the the switch there? Like what switched I, you from feeling terrible to like, let's go. Here comes the. I felt awful, wagon. dude. I still felt terrible, but I also thought, um, it, as soon as Chad said, yeah, let's go. Cause I think I was kind of trying to convince myself to just walk the next six miles to the next aid station. Cause I was like, well, I can drop out at the next aid station. Yeah. Like, I don't want to die on the vine right here. And, um, then he said, yeah, let's go. And I was like, oh shoot, I guess we're going to this thing. And so, you know, really it was mutual. Like we both basically got each other out of the chair and started going and, um, yeah, walked to the next day station, literally walked just about every step. Like I didn't run a run at all and um, got to that aid station, got some food. I was starting to like hold down calories because I started moving a little bit slower. And um, Shad sat down and I was like, let's do it again. And he's like, I'm right behind you. I just got to get a little bit of food down. And um, so we got up and went to the next aid station. And that's that's literally how the race went. Um until I got to the 50 mile mark down and back down in, um, back down in steamboat. And, um, I was like, well, crap, I don't know. There's a big loop at the, once you get in steamboat, it's like 16 miles or something like that. So I was, and it's in the dark. So I really was kind of on the fence about whether I was going to just drop there. Cause I was like, it's a pretty good day, man. It's a pretty good day. If I make it 50 miles of this thing, um, given what I've got. And then, uh, then Hillary decides to like jump in and pace me the last 50 miles, <laughs> which was bonkers. Like, yeah. Dude. dude well, you t- oh, sorry. I was just going to say real quick. You told me that you were sitting down in that chair. You got up to go. And as you left, the van came in like a minute later to come pick, 
people up and you're like, we just missed. I was like, you told me that you were just thinking to yourself, like, if we sit here any longer, that van is going to get here. So we have to actually get going. I think you're right. That's, you know, time passes, but I mean, that that's literally, I was, I was like freaked out. I was like, ah, like if the van gets here, then it's like, my race is over. Right. <laughs> like it's over my mind and I'm stoked. I'm like, fine. Good at quitting. But I'm like, yeah, the van gets here. I'm done. Right. And there's no cell service up there. So there's no way for me to contact anyone to let them know what I'm doing. So I have no idea what was going through. Like, how did all that work from a crew perspective? Well, it was very different from other races because you're normally not in that state of mind at mile 17. So it put me in a bit of a tailspin. Um, but you, we did the, the, I want to say the, whatever, where it gives you updates where your runner is. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was pretty good. It was pretty good in that race that some, some parts weren't as great, but enough to where we knew he had gone to the next aid station and then he had a tracker somehow I was tracking him somehow too. Um, and I was like, he's moving. And then we were watching it and we're watching it and watching it. And then I'm like, no, he's he. And then I'd be like, zoomed in. I'm like, no, he was here and he's here. And then we like overlaid it with a map because his actual GPS isn't working. I think I was using find my iPhone or something. <laughs> and um, I was like, he's moving. If he's here, that means he left this aid station. So he's gonna meet at the next one. Um, which by then Hillary had gotten into town so we drove up halfway up the mountain to this next aid station. And that's when we were sitting there and Donald showed up and said, well, do you have somebody to pace you at mile 50? And Tim said, no. At the same time that Tim said, no, Hillary said, and I said, yes. Yeah. And then Tim's like, what are you talking about? And I said, Hillary's going to jump in at mile 50. Yeah. And then of course he's like, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. That That's too much. Yeah, we had, and she was already doing it. I think after both of our phone calls, with Tim and then um, kind of putting the puzzle together. Cause there was a moment where we were like, where we weren't quite sure if Tim had dropped at that aid station before the one we saw him at, or if he had kept going. And once we realized he had kept going um, in the state that you, that Tim was in, we were both like, I need, I was just like assumed or like, we just knew that I needed to jump in at 50. Um, so yeah, when, when Donald asked you if you had a pacer, Julie and I were like, yeah, he has a pacer. I'll be there at 50. Yeah. Was yeah. that like extra like motivation to him? Well, I think whenever you have a pacer, it's the same thing as someone jumping in. Like, it's just like, well, crap, now I have accountability, right? Like if, if Hillary was jumping in at 65, and I got to 50, I still think there's that thing in the back of your mind of like, hey, like, thanks for coming up. Like, I'm done. But, you know, when you're, I was at that, I think it's like six miles from that aid station to, to Steamboat. And so I'm like, all right, you know, here we go. And literally, I mean, by that time I was moving. I was at least moving and I was keeping calories down and it had been a really, really rough 50 miles. Um, like, the worst I've had at the beginning of a race, just because everything that doesn't ever go wrong was going wrong. Like I had chafing, I had blisters, I'd thrown up, like all of it. But um, it's once we kind of got through that like 15, 16 mile loop, um, which is super hard on, in Steamboat, I, I felt like we were able to get to work a little bit. Like I was, I was definitely moving um, pretty well. Like once we got once we got past that loop, that climb in the, in the steamboat area, and then we started kind of like heading back up the hill. I wasn't moving like super fast, but I was moving. My legs felt good. I was keeping some more food down. I was talkative. Um, like the second half of the race was like a dramatic change from the first half of the race. Yeah, man. And I know you've like told me you've given like a bunch of props to Hillary on that. Can you kind of talk about what that was like to have her as your pacer? Yeah. Um, you know, like, and I said it earlier, like just why I love having Hillary pace me because she just, she just like gets me and we like, are we like share brain when we're like out there? But I mean, really it's a, it's a great, it's empathy and not sympathy. And it's, it's just like, you're, 
Hillary's really aware of like what I need. And it, it was cool. Like, you know, an example of that was like, all right, we're like kind of cruising for a little while. And then Hillary would like pick her poles up. Like she had poles, right? So did I. And she would like pick her poles up and like put them in one hand. And the second like she did that, I was like, okay, we're going to work now. And we would start running. Like we would like jog out a section and then she would like put her poles back and like be climbing up a hill. And so I didn't really even have to think. I was just like, as soon as Hillary puts her poles in her right hand, our, we're going to start running. And it got, and it was just, it was just like that. Like the, the next 40 miles were just like banging it out, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah I was, think if like, I can speak to that a little bit being on the pacer side that I know when, when you're the one running, you're the one racing, it's like, you just need someone to take over your thinking. You just need someone else to be your brain. And even the thinking of like, oh, should I run here? Or how long should I run for? Like, even just that mental process can be exhausting for someone after you've been out there for 60, 70 miles. So um, when I was pacing, I was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to do the thinking for Tim and I'm going to try and read his breathing and his pace and kind of create these hike run breaks or intervals. Um, and I'm not going to ask like, oh, are you ready to run? Or I'm not like, sometimes I just didn't even say anything like let's run now. I would just, I was in front. So like Tim said, if, you know, we're hiking, I'm using two poles and once it's time to run, I'll put my poles in one hand and I'll just run. And if I run, he'll follow. And then in that way, you just kind of, I become the brain and he can just be towed along basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I also, I remember you telling me, Tim, you were chafing so bad. This might be too personal. Now that I think about it, you're chafing so bad. You couldn't sit down at aid stations. Was I like just dreaming that that happened when you told me that, or did you actually tell me that? No, it was, it was, it was like, it was really bad. Okay. It that was, was your hour. You know, See, I said, was I just, so you could be like, no, dude. Yeah. I didn't say that. But these are like the uber embarrassing things that happen at races. <laughs> like, I mean, really, I was just like, oh my God, this is like, it's like, it's like horrible. I'm like out there with my friend and I'm just like, oh, like I hurt so bad. And I did. I remember I, I, I told Hillary, I was like, I can't sit down. And then we finally find this place. I was, you know, I was like taking Vaseline by like, as much as I could get to try to like get it to go away. And I was like, I just need some squirrels nut butter. And we finally find this aid station. They've got these like little canisters of squirrels nut butter. And they were all frozen. Like I was like, I was like, no. Yeah, it was too cold to use them. <laughs> oh my gosh. But it was horrible. I was like, oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to sit down for like a week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Like the joy of, of running. Yeah. As soon as I started asking that question, I'm like, I'm pretty sure Tim brought that up on one of our runs and was like, I don't want to share this part. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, dude. Sorry. My bad. My bad. You um, know, sometimes what happens on the trail stays on the trail. Sometimes you say it on a podcast for, for at now least, at least my mom knows because she listens. <laughs> I know that for sure. Um, She'll be like, oh, your, your friend Tim. She'll like send squirrels nut butter now to me and be like, give these to your friend Tim. It'll say yes. that. Yeah, yes. I don't Chris's know if that was. <laughs> send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how was the last, like, I mean, you hit the low point so early on in the race. Did you like hit it again or was it just one continuous low point? <laughs> I'll let Hillary talk to you the last part of the race. Okay. Yeah. So from my perspective, he just got, from when I picked him up 50 miles at Olympian hall, if anyone's familiar with the course, um, Tim just got stronger in the last 50 miles, like each mile that went by, he just got stronger. Um, so I'm going to get all, I don't remember names of aid stations, so I can't like give context to where we were, but there's one section of the course that's, um, Dry Lake to Summit Lake, that's what it is. So steep. Like you're using, you're like digging in with two poles and then stepping up. And so super challenging place and it's dark. Um, course isn't marked super great through there. It's kind of, it was kind of easy for us to get lost. But Tim just took it in stride. 
and like no complaints and um, just powered through it. And then basically after that, it was a lot of um, the course kind of mellows out. So it was a good opportunity to get them running in. And Tim just got stronger and stronger throughout to the point where, what was that last second to last aid station we hit? Um, Long Lake. Long Lake to Mount Warner was like Tim like flipped a switch and suddenly he like picked up fresh pair of legs in his drop bag or something because I I was like I was hustling to keep up with him like something just like got into him and he was booking it um, like we're seriously we're running uphill now where before we were hiking and he just had a fire in him um, and then we got to which brought us to Mount Werner which is the very last aid station and then basically it's all downhill to the finish just steep ski hill um and tim was feeling good tim was ready to book it um and i had been with him for about i don't know 47 miles or so <laughs> and i i got to a point in my pacing abilities that i felt like i was holding him back by that point my knee pain came back and I felt like I was holding him back and it wasn't my race. It wasn't my day. It wasn't about me. And so I was like, Tim, you need to go. Um, you need to just finish this strong because I know you have it. And so you don't, I'm like, you don't need me anymore. You needed me at 50 miles. You don't need me now. Um, so he went and he like, you should talk about the last couple of miles you had because that was a, that was a real high point for you. Yeah, I think the the switch really went off like it's cool for the hundred runners on the next day like the sun came up we stopped at long lake i had like a breakfast burrito there um and just kind of felt like oh like i have some energy and then you have the 50 mile runners that are like starting their day and so they're kind of on their way out so you're seeing these like other runners and i'm like oh my god how cool is this like I've run like a hundred freaking miles and these people are just out here like starting their day on their 50. I thought that was pretty badass. And um, so I don't know if it was just that energy or what, but I was like, it felt great to like feel or at least look strong as I'm like running past these people like back the other way towards the finish. Like, yeah. and um, the sun, like I said, the sun is coming out. It's like a new day, like all that like new energy, like just like fills you up. And, um, I, yeah, I felt really good. Um, got to the summit. I really struggled. Like one of the hardest parts of my race, like quite frankly, was when Hillary said she didn't like, she's like, Hey, I'm done. Like I'm holding you up. And I was like, think about that from my perspective. I like have one of the, one of my best friends in the whole world that like drove up, like paced me from like mile 50, I'll probably get emotional thinking about it, you know? And then she's just like, Hey, it's your day. Like, this is, you gotta go. And I was like, I can't do, I can't just, I can't just leave you here after all the work that you did for me and give me back. Like, it's not right. And, um, like I struggled, I really struggled with that until she just like, just go, like, just go. And I like kind of looked down at my watch and I was like, well, if I, ran like insanely fast, like eight minute miles down this hill, I can break 28 hours for the day, which just seemed bonkers to like run that fast at the end, like run six miles at like eight minute pace at the end of a hundred mile run. Um, but Hillary's like, just go. And I was like, are you sure? She's like, yeah, like I'll figure out how to get down. And, and so I just went and um, yeah, I was clocking off, like I was clocking off eight sub eights, like down that hill. And um Felt, felt fantastic. You called me. You remember calling me on the way down the hill? Not really. Well, he called me on the way down the hill. A little bit different phone conversation than the one I had gotten the day oh, before. Yeah. Um, I could tell he was running, first of all, breathing <laughs> hard. And uh, he was just like, I'm going to do this. I'm running so fast. Like, I'm having people. There's nobody up here. And, and I'm like, and I, well, I think I already knew Hillary wasn't there because she had texted me. And um. Yeah, I mean, just a 180 degree difference, right? From what I had talked to him earlier in the race. Um, so that was, I'd forgot that. So you just were talking, I forgot you'd called me on your way down the hill. Yeah, Tim, you have like a, you, you every once in a while, you'll just yell out loud. 
in the middle of the wilderness. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And sometimes it's on the phone to your wife. And then sometimes you are yelling and you don't know people are there. And then you realize they are. And you're like, oh, sorry. I'm just, I'm excited. Yeah. I had this moment at, at like, not even that race, but I was at desert rats and I'd like crested this hill and I was like all like excited. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Like, so excited to be out here. Like no one, no one's out there, you know, just like screaming out of elation. And then you called me, you called me once on that race too. Oh yeah. I called you. Yeah. I do this. I'm going to win this. <laughs> and then we lost reception. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, so yeah. I have to ask this, like, each race that you do, um, at least for me, it's like, it's always like, you know, you get the like racers finishing whatever medal or whatever, which is awesome. But more importantly is in your own mind, you get this racers, like, this is what you learned, or this is what you gained throughout doing that experience. Like in what to kind of like wrap up your run rabbit experience like what was the thing that was really meaningful or something that you you gained from from doing that from going out and doing that um now you're gonna make me cry that's not the intention i don't want people you don't have yeah. to <laughs> um because you know what it is man it's the people that are that are on this podcast right like that's that's it like um my story is like a drop in the bucket, like in the world of, right? Like there's, there were 300 other runners of that race that all had like probably amazing experiences that day. I think, um, you know, for me, it's, it's the journey with these people, um, that I get to meet through this sport that, um, you know, I, you just have like these bonds with people, like who knows if I was out there for Shad to get him finish he got into hard rock this year like awesome he wouldn't have maybe got into hard rock if i wouldn't have got him out of that chair you know like there's a million sort of threads to to this sport but um ultimately like this one wasn't about me at all um you learn something in every one but um i yeah it's uh pulling back from the grave and just knowing that like yeah, when you think it's over, when you think it's over and you're just done. Sometimes it's just about getting to that next stop and just and as cliche as it is, like just moving to the next stop because life is the same way, right? Yeah. Yeah. And especially when the next stop has people you know are there caring for you and are gonna like pull you along, you know, like that makes it way better and way more enjoyable and meaningful and all that stuff. Awesome, man. Well, congrats to you as well. And congrats to Julie for surviving the summer. Because yeah. <laughs> I know it was busy. And then I was like, man, as a dude who probably talked him into Desert Rats, I was like, oh my God, dude. I'm going to meet Julie. And she's gonna be like, you talked him into a six-day race. What are you doing? So sorry. I apologize. <laughs> Oh, I mean, at least he went out and won the dang thing, right? I mean, if you're going to do it. <laughs> Might as well. Might as well. Yeah, exactly. So awesome. Well, um, Tim, where can people kind of fall along future adventures? Hillary, where can people find your coaching? And Julie, if you're in Denver, Golden area, you got to go to your physical therapist, Julie. <clears throat> Are we going in order? Uh, you can that... go in whatever order you want. I was setting <laughs> it up. You guys knock it out of the ballpark. About the only social media I'm active with is, is Instagram. And it's B, it's B Stokes, um, B-S-T-O-K-D. Um, you can find me there. And then um, when I have extra time, which hasn't been a whole lot lately, um, like my project is all things trail running on YouTube. And uh, hopefully I'll get some more content. Up, we, uh, we talked about doing a headlamp review where I just tape my iPhone to my hat because that's what I'll just run with my iPhone at four 30 in the morning. So maybe that'll come at some point. It'd be a good one. <laughs> wasn't it, wasn't the idea like I have it taped to my head and then I just trip a bunch. 
Oh, it's going to be great. And by the end, I'm like covered in blood and dirt and with like iPhone headlamp, five stars. How are we going to film it? It's going to be dark out. No, it's the, that's the, the hurdle to, (laughs) to get over. (laughs) Um, Hillary, where can people find your, your coaching? Yeah. So I am a coach with lifelong endurance. Um, you can go to lifelongendurance.com to look at services and a little more information about me. You can also check out my Instagram at train underscore with underscore Hillary, H-I-L-L-A-R-Y. Um, I welcome DMs or just follows or just check out what I'm about. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. And then Julie awesome i've been there i've been poked with needles there and it was wonderful it was you know i was telling tim i'm like i went and got dry needled and it was right in the midst of not in the midst it was like we did a year of lockdown i had no new experiences for a year my whole year was like at home with the kids like same kind of and i probably had some new experiences but I, i told tim i'm like i'm so grateful that I got to go in and experience something new. And that was getting poked in the leg by our friend, Tim. And I'm scared. I'm deathly afraid of needles. So it was interesting. You can check out the episode on all things trail running. There is an episode on all things trail running. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You can see Um, me cry. Um, My physical therapy clinic is in Golden called Elevation Physical Therapy. And, um, accepting new patients and we see a lot of runners and uh joel's really nice so if he needles you he he's won't nice. you won't feel bad because he's so nice about it yeah he's <laughs> like he's midwestern he's iowan you know he's a legend like i'm pretty sure tim we're gonna get him on the podcast at some point. i think he is <laughs> i think he is too yeah <laughs> and he'll just say he'll go like oh sorry while he's poking you in the leg <laughs> sorry you wanted me to do this (laughs) but yeah well thank you guys for coming on thank you guys for sharing your stories um i just i really enjoy it it's it's inspirational to a person who has yet to take on a hundred miler so thank you all i think we should change that no yeah that's how i'm gonna end it i'm just gonna end it with me going (laughs) i don't know what i'm doing yet next year so we'll see we'll see Chris is going to run a 200 as his first 100. There you go. I'll put, I'll put money on it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. All right. Thank you. That wraps up this week's episode. Uh, once again, thank you all for listening. Thanks for all the support. Thank you to Tim, Julie, and Hillary for coming on the show, closing out the year with me. Uh, I'm ready, man. I'm ready for 2022. I'm ready for the new adventures. Um, I've yet to go through. I usually like to go through and kind of like just make a list of things that I did in, in the year, the previous year. And a lot of times it's pretty rewarding because it kind of opens your eyes like, whoa, I did do a lot. <laughs> I did. Uh, on top of all my other, you know, responsibilities and jobs, like I was able to to do a lot of them really fun, really uh, like soul-fulfilling things. So uh, I've yet to do that. I'm excited to go through. I just need some free time to do it. But but yeah, and then I like to jump in and be like, what's what do I want to do in 2022? You know, like what are new things I want to I really want the next year to be about doing new things. I want to step outside my comfort zone in ways that I haven't yet done. Um, And I'm not 100 percent sure what that's going to look like yet. So uh, we'll kind of see. But but yeah. So that being said, hope hope you all are out there kind of seeking your own challenges, your own ways to like really embrace the opportunities that we have in life uh over 2022 i think that's something we should all shoot for and that's going to look different for every single person it's not going to look like you know what you see online on instagram on facebook any of that your own what's going to expand yourself 
emotionally and like spiritually and like what's going to make you really embrace what there is uh, to embrace in life is going to look unique to you. And you should totally accept that. And I, I should accept that too. Like what, what is going to be fulfilling to me is not going to be the same as what's fulfilling to you. Um, and that's okay. But it's really about finding like, what is the thing that is going to allow you to really enjoy the 365 days, right? Like we're all given 365 days next year. What are you going to do that's really going to um, bring something to your life, bring some sort of positivity to your life? And what are you going to leave behind that's going to leave behind some negativity, right? Like, I don't know. I know for me, something I've struggled with since probably starting the podcast is just the amount of time that I've been, I've had to be online and some of it I've had to be, I had to have been, and some of it I have chosen to be. Um, but like when it comes to work, you know, obviously we took a big pivot a couple years ago and there was more computer time. Um, but it is like how much, how much time is really necessary for that? Because I know deep down, like, Hey, you know, being on social media, too much is not a good thing. Uh, and I know that's something I'm going to continue to work on because it's hard because I want to get the word out about the podcast and contact guests and like see their stories and all that, which is great. Um, but at the same time, it's it's probably something I think we can all step back from, step away from. And we would probably be much better for all of our souls if we did so um yeah that's it that's it 2021 um you're i'm releasing this on like new year's eve so chances are no one's actually listening to this on 2021 uh but if you are hope you had a great year if you're listening to this and it's early 2022 go get them get after it uh we'll be back with you all next week